Welcome to the Intimacy Lab. I'm Michelle Renee, an intimacy guide, surrogate partner, and professional cuddler. We're here to talk about intimacy in a much broader view than what you're probably thinking. Most people think about intimacy as sex. We're going to break that apart here. Welcome to the lab. Welcome back to the Intimacy Lab. Today, I'm joined with David Kalili, who is a LMFT up in the Bay Area, who we just kind of like ran into each other because I love listening to podcasts. And um, David was a guest on Get Naked with Dr. Kate. It was Mm -hmm. during Soft Cock Week. And your conversation was just like right in alignment with what I've been talking about the whole week. And it was just like, if we'd only known this was on purpose or something, I know, right? no, it wasn't at all. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, wait, I think we're connected on Instagram. So I went and found one of your posts and was and just shared that I was really, really loved your conversation. And you were like, we should, we should connect. Yeah. Which is awesome. I, I don't know. I feel like I still pinch myself that. People are a yes to connecting with me for some reason. I think it's because I'm not in the regular talk therapy world as far mm. as like, I'm not a talk therapist. Right. Um, I will love working with talk therapists. Yeah. I prefer to collaborate than to work solo. And not everybody's like game to invite me to their table. So thanks, well, David. You're welcome at my table and anytime. And thank you for having me at your table. Yeah, thanks yeah. for joining us. So part of, um, I didn't ask you about this beforehand, so you have the option to to say no. Like, <laughs> but I, I've i been doing these, um, we're not really strangers cards with, with people that come on the... I almost played with that last night, actually. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I'm just gonna, so I'm, I'm not gonna pull from the regular deck just because um, this little healing edition has been really interesting as far as like how oh. it relates to my work and stuff. And I'm like, kind of loving these cards. Cool. So if you're I'll cool, we're just going to, so we're not really strangers had 40% off their entire store, like oh. around black Friday and all that kind of time. And so I um, kind of went in and bought every expansion that I had that I didn't have and so i have a whole pile of these cards and (laughs) there's a history to that when was the last time you didn't ask for help but really needed it oh boy that's a good one explain and we can take our time to think about it there's no rush and i'm going to think for a second about what mine would be i feel like i could just say all the time because i'm really bad at asking for help it's like (laughs) you know um so I have like a really specific example of going hiking with my friends uh, and my now wife. And for some reason, and it's not this conscious thing, but like um, when someone someone says, do you want water? I'm like, no. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, not good. <laughs> you know, we're like five miles into the hike and my water's out. And... Um, and so then what ends up happening is, and I don't like this about myself and I'm, you know, I'm working on it, but what ends up happening is someone has to just hand me and go here, take the water. This is your yes. water now. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Um, and I feel it's the same way with like getting massages or getting some type of, um, I used to hate the idea of getting massages and hate the idea of like just a random, a stranger touching me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I started to really 
be like, okay, this is a learning process. I'm not going to just really sink into this right away. And now I, I love them. I go, you know, once a month, if not twice a month, and I'm can just sink in and my nervous system isn't really activated as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think those are moments and were moments where, you know, I could ask for help with like, I'm tense everywhere, but then not. Yeah. Okay. Question. How are you at letting your massage therapist know when you need something different? Getting better. Good, good. Because <laughs> yeah. I know I, I we're all a work in pro- progress, yeah. right? And I, I love the idea that like people like to put us on pedestals, yeah. right? I know I'm like seen on a pedestal a lot and I like to take myself off the pedestal a lot to say, I'm just a couple steps ahead of you all. Right. Like <laughs> so, yep. it's not a finished product. I don't yeah. think there is a finished product. Right. And I do the same thing. I, I remember going into um, the Korean spot, one of them here in San Diego. And I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do the the massage and the, the, the um, body scrub. Uh-huh. And they asked like, how hard do you want your massage? And, and I put like, yeah, hard. Oh my uh-huh. gosh, was I so out of my league when I said hard? I did not know what I was signing up for. And the communication was a real struggle with the the practitioner. And uh-huh. I just was like, I just kept saying, wow, you're really strong. I, I it's like I didn't know how to advocate for myself right. in, in yeah. that space. And like it's I'm one of these people that kind of have to, I'm a slow processor sometimes. And like I have to take some space away and give myself like like sometimes I'm I'm like okay Michelle look you figured that out faster than last time, yeah that's an improvement right yeah. you asked I, I remember I used this example a lot of this like kind of like maybe it's not asking for help but speaking up uh huh where I've said to my partner look that thing you did back there when we were driving that was some shit like you just totally like zoned out on our conversation and just like acted like I wasn't there anymore. Like Uh I'm in the middle of telling you a story and you're on your phone. And like, what was that about? And the good news was it only took me 10 minutes of stewing in the car before Uh I brought it up rather than a day. Right. Sometimes it's those little, like, that's what, uh, yeah, that's the marker of success. Yeah. 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 So, um, specifically last time I, uh, that I didn't ask for help, but really needed it. It's, I can't think of an example exactly because I'm getting better at it. Yeah. So it's like, I will tell you the last time I got really frustrated and almost didn't ask for help. Right. <laughs> like I, I got there. It just uh-huh. took me, it takes me a little bit to, to remember that I can ask for help. Yep. It wasn't a thing in my household growing up that was really encouraged. Yeah. And I think for me, culturally you know both the both of my parents immigrated and specifically from my dad coming from iran and in that culture um it's you know very collectivistic very community oriented and there's the way that you show love is by like taking up space or not taking up space and knowing how to kind of navigate and um weave through and you know i'm starting to think of other things related to that but um so in a way like that that is part of why I have that reaction or that, that kind of sensibility of me as, you know, making sure everyone else is taken care of before I am. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, just some of those aspects. And so, you know, when I go through my mind of like, okay, what is, 
how much of this is related to culture, to masculinity, to anxiety, to, you know, that, 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 that. There's, there's a lot of little things in each column, but it, I think it's a useful exercise to know like, okay, well, which column has taken up the most real estate? <laughs> yeah, the, right the, yeah. The intersectionalities that show up and yeah, yeah for sure. I know as a semi-socialized female, like right. it's just that's oh, yeah. part of the ingrained process of helping others, but maybe, maybe not getting support for yourself. Again, it goes to so many, it's like lasagna. I'm just like, you're talking Collins and I'm thinking <laughs> in the other direction of like, uh -huh, oh, there's yeah. so many layers here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was listening, I again, love podcasts. I was listening to a really great podcast. I think it was last week, maybe the week before on Huberman Lab about mm. this one specific form of journaling that they have scientifically proven to be actually really beneficial. Like they can prove that it affects your immune system. Oh, wow. And it was like, basically you would take a, a traumatic experience and you would write about it for 15 to 30 minutes, everything you could remember about it. Mm-hmm being as honest as you can be, right? Not minimizing your experience, mm. everything you could, you could recall, put it down, you could type it or write it, didn't matter mm -hmm. um, which one of those you used. And you would do it for four days in a row or once every day for four weeks, not once every day, once every week for four weeks or four days in a row. Uh-huh. And they came out with similar uh blood work results around oh. your immune system. And so uh I came across a task the other day that I was just like very overwhelmed by. I couldn't figure out how to do it. I hate that I didn't know how to do the thing, right? And I started to beat myself up. like, why mm. do I not know how to do this? And then I started to get emotional and the tears started to well up. And then I just said, okay, I need to walk away from this task. But then I was like, oh, I'm already in this activated space. I should write about it. I should uh -huh. do this journaling exercise, right? And I couldn't pinpoint an exact experience where that I could tie that too, but I just wrote mm. about the culture of my, of my upbringing, mm. right. Of what mm. it was like when I was a kid to, to need help. That wasn't super welcomed. Uh -huh. I was the person in charge of keeping all my sisters in line. I was the, like, there was just a lot of pressure there. And so it was kind of interesting to take that, yeah. that exercise and kind of jot down your thoughts. And I could come up with stuff that I couldn't come up if it was just in my head. Very it was cool. like writing it down helped me kind of sort it out. So it was kind of fun. I mean, yeah. in, a, in a crying, I'm really emotionally exhausted sure. right away afterwards. <laughs> that fun. Yeah. That's what you like to do for fun. I mean, it wasn't a Friday night, but, you know, <laughs> anywho. So thanks for playing with me. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. So are you cool if we talk about some of my, like what I was thinking about when I listened to your podcast episode with Dr. Please? Kate? Yeah. And I'm so, also happy to talk about, um, the complex PTSD book too. Yeah. Okay. So let me just, I want to highlight something and maybe we'll bring you back to talk about this on the soft cock week podcast, but I want to, I want to touch on it here because uh -huh. I just was like, Oh yeah, there was a point we were talking, you were, you were talking about the circular, well, how mm. do you call it? Your circular, circular model of sex or yeah. also the, the smorgasbord of delight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Cause I think you painted the picture of like a seventies round bed that rotates. Right. Yep. And there's like all this sex around the edges. Right. Uh -huh. And I, I love that. And, and that's totally my, my soft cock thing is like, can we just expand our ideas of what sex are and we can solve a lot of this. Right. Yeah. It's not such an issue when you have erectile differences when you aren't expecting to move the, the sexual escalator 
right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So there was a little moment where you said something about, and I should have pulled the exact quote, but I'm terrible at prepping for these things. You said something about that, at least what landed in my mind was what happens in a space where you get so desperate to move through the sexual escalator. Mm. It made me think about consent. Yep. And we get out of our, you know, out of our integrity when we get so goal focused. Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely on point. And um yeah. um yeah, it's something that I talked about also on Midori's Consent Dojo podcast, where we talked about um anxiety interfering with consent. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, to your point, right, when it when you have the linear model of sex, which is that escalator that goes, you know, it's the bases is another way to yep. think about it. Um <clears throat> and so if your whole goal is to chase your cum or to whatever it may be, then you're only just going to be focused on that outcome rather yeah. than, you know, whatever may be involved or, um, and so, yeah. So especially for, for guys that I've talked to where they may feel like they don't have the best of luck with sex or with, you know, um, getting dates or anything like that, you know, it becomes this very desperate, um, toxic act of like, and I don't even think it's for some it's conscious, but for others it's not that conscious. But it, you know, it's something that needs to be brought to the conscious so that they can investigate it. But it's like, I, you yeah. know, I better get mine, or this is my only chance, or you know, um, and that is changing to an extent over time. Just as you know, the concepts of masculinity and expectations of that are changing, but not fast enough. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that we've never, it never. I've been soft cock week for two years. Let's not act like mm. there's this long lineage here. But it was it was a topic that we hadn't touched on and we mm. didn't touch on this year. And I think it's a really it's something that should be brought to the forefront, just as something to be aware of. Yep. Right. I think that's the part of consent when we talk about consent. There's so many nuances. People get stuck on the yes, no. Like was right. was there a yes and an, or a no given? But there's like there's it's, it's the agreements. It's how we're going to meet each other. Yeah. And if we've got I I I see clients that are just like their idea of what successful sex looks like is a little stunted in their development. I think. Yeah. And it it gets in the way of them really considering what the other person that they're with is experiencing. Yep. Yeah, because yeah. then it becomes very self-focused, very goal-focused. Mm -hmm. The other person becomes like a, a prop in that yeah. situation just for the goal. Um, even if, you know, even if you were to ask them, like, do you see your partner as a prop? They're like, no, of course not. But no, they're, just, they're completely you know, unaware. And yeah. you, you don't expect them to be aware, right? Yeah. I, I, I said to a client the other day, I said, I think what you're not understanding is that Good sex does not mean good connection, mm. but good connection can very well mean good sex. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think you're, you're, it's like this focus of, I've got to get really good at the sex because then I'll be able to have good connections. Right. It's like, no, 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 but we got to do it the other way around. Like at least that's how I work. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, I, is there a rock that says that message that I could just beat against people's head? Like <laughs> it's such a dance to try to help them uh, uh, put some of the, like, I don't say we, we got to move through the developmental stages in a way. And it's yeah. like, 
who this is why I like working triadically and having a mm. good talk person on the team that can help. That's not my world, right? That's right. not my specialty. And so um, I'm just there to help them have a laboratory to kind of experience what connection feels like generally from the platonic side. Right. That's my 90% of my work is spent in that space. And yet they all come looking for the sex help. So, yeah. <laughs> And I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at ways to go build off of your point around like um, helping with connection. It, it's like with cooking, you you want to learn techniques first before just kind of the few recipes, or at least in my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I'm working with couples or individuals, I'm helping them learn how to connect with themselves and understand, you know, their emotional reactions. I tell them in session, like if you ever, while we're talking, if you have a sudden shift in emotion even if you're mid-sentence, just stop and let us know. And mm-hmm. we'll either investigate it or we'll just kind of bookmark it and keep going. Um, and that that intervention alone helps them kind of practice recognizing when they're having a shift in emotion so that they can name it to their partner. Um, mm-hmm. Something I'm constantly saying to couples is, you know, well, why don't you ask? <laughs> They'll say like, well, you did this because of that, 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 that. And I'm like, well, ask him. Yeah. You know, The and, story uh, gets in the way so yeah. often. And it builds right? up and builds and builds. Yeah. Yeah. That whole, like, just talk about it thing is such a skill set that if you didn't grow up in a household where it was safe, right. now you've got this person that it might be safe with or it might not be safe with, but you don't know until you try. And that's where having a good therapist to help kind of practice yeah. that, like hold the space to be able to walk somebody through that. Because it's like it would be like trying to perform surgery if you've never taken a class on anatomy right <laughs> in so many ways you've got to have somebody that it's there that can model and say wait a minute yeah you're you're we're moving into that that rut of thought that we tend to go down right let's right. See, let's think of another way we could approach this i don't know reed mahalko does like his um you know steps to having difficult conversations yeah uh, if you're familiar, I yeah. figure you being Bay Area, Bay Area. Yeah, I've been following him for a number of years. I, I really appreciate yeah. his work. Yeah. Have you ever gone to Sex Geek Summer Camp? Not yet. It's definitely on my list. But, Is uh, it? Yeah. I've seen him. I've uh, been to body storytelling a bunch. Mm-hmm. Not, not, in a, not in a bit, but um, I've seen him talk there. And, yeah, know. some of my favorite ones. Like Because I started, <clears throat> I got into wanting to do sex education. Um through finding Betty Dodson. Mm, mm-hmm. So 2014, I come across an article about her and I just, I needed to know everything that she had to teach me. Like I, no. I say she walked me through my divorce without actually having met her until farther down the line. Uh-huh. Um, but he tells a story about getting punched. I think it's called like punched in the ass by Betty Dodson or something like that. <laughs> it's such a great punch in the asshole or something like that. Such a great story. I, I, I've just been connected with um, Dixie from Body. Oh, cool. Yoni, mutual person yeah. I put you in touch with. Yoni Elkin um, is good friends with Dixie. And um, do you know Phoenix Mandel? Yeah. Phoenix connected me directly with Dixie because Dixie was a sexy summer camp and was looking uh, to maybe bring Body down to San Diego. Uh, so all the worlds, they all intertwine. Yeah. That's We're really never good. too far, never too far apart from each other. Um, I like yeah. I love all the collaborations going on and just like building up on each other's knowledge base and resources and work that we're doing and 
trying to so get good information on, out there. Should have been on my West Coast intimacy call this morning. Let me tell you what. Oh, so yeah? for the people at home, uh, there's a I do a West and East Coast intimacy professionals, which is like a peer to peer support. And um, I came in looking for some a case consultation, and it was. Um, such a really rich conversation. And one of the things we'll say is like, it's so good. We have all these different people in this group that have little bits of knowledge and all these different places. And the fact that we all come together and like want to share with each other and support each other just feels so much less lonely than I imagine it was years ago in trying to do intimacy work. Like it just, I'm so blessed anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I think I think I do want to bring you back for Softcock to talk more in depth about that. And I don't know if it'll happen this year or if it'll happen closer to next year's um, week. But the other thing that we have in common, or at least we figured out that we have in common, is an appreciation for the book Complex PTSD mm-hmm. from Surviving to Thriving. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about um, reparenting by committee. Oh, yeah, I like that part. Yeah. The thing I'm I'm struggling with trying to sort out around this is mm-hmm. I do see myself as one of the first safe enough people, like talk therapists can be a first safe enough person, mm-hmm. right? What do the boundaries around that look like? I It's such an interesting space to be in, right? Because if we're creating, like giving people their first safe, it's a it's a big, Mm. big space we're holding in Mm -hmm. our clients' lives. Right. And so in cuddling, I've always looked at professional cuddling as being like a massage therapist and you can keep it going to your massage therapist as long as you want. There doesn't need to be like an end date to your work and Mm -hmm. an expiration like in surrogate partner therapy we have a cutoff, right? Once we hit our goals, it's really important that we follow through with kind of a breakup Mm -hmm. in, in a way to push the client out of the nest. Right. Right. So when I'm not working in my head, surrogate partner therapy has traditionally been around kind of romantic relationships and things like that. I come in with this real fascination with the reparenting side of the work and holding a lot of motherly space. Uh huh. Now I'm going okay, but does that work need to have an end date so that the client takes that away, like learns to really build those skills to put them to work with another person and not with yeah. with the professional? Yeah, no, I, I think <laughs> there's there's an end date and then there's an end moments to kind of play off that, or just like you know boundaries within the container where you know um i may have you know a motherly role to you but i'm not your mom sort of thing or like you know yeah um, or you know it's something that we talk about with some of our clients here where you know let's say we see them once a week and we talk about in between session contact and Mm -hmm. you know everyone every therapist has their own beliefs their own kind of um boundaries around that I think that's that's another way where we can have the the ending, you know, where the ending is at the end of the 50 minutes and you can contact me, you can email me if you want, you can text me uh, and I let them know I may not respond, but I will bring it up in, in session. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I let them talk to me about times when they're, you know, maybe they did wish that I was available on that Monday when they were dealing with whomever. 
and mm-hmm. maybe they are they do have some anger around that and i let them express that anger and i'm not going to take it in i'm not going to apologize for not being there but i'm going to meet that emotion and meet that disappointment i think that's another part of the reparenting process mm-hmm. it, you know kind of allowing them to go through that the ebbs and flows of emotions um so yeah i'm totally with you that like you know there needs to be an ending both in like the final and it's also in the states in like western cultures we don't really do well we don't we're not really well uh versed or well modeled in goodbyes or like healthy mm-hmm. endings. And that's why you know I, I talk about that with clients of like this is a, a good practice space where we can practice saying goodbye um, yeah. and so yeah i don't know if i'm answering good. yeah no i i don't know that there's a question it's mm. like a almost like a this needs to be kind of workshopped out in a way mm-hmm. of like where is the um where does the benefit the 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 biggest benefit when does that start to become diminished mm-hmm. right it'll come back yeah i mean i think so the, you know the reparenting piece it's like giving them these new experiences to to go through and then it's it's helping them with their own attachment styles with their own shame to be like in that moment and experience that and then reflect with you <clears throat> about what's going on um, Again, I think the team component of this is imperative. Yep. Got it. Like yeah. it really, I, I think that I don't think that everyone always understands like why, why do we need to have, I talked to you, Michelle, you're, it's like going to talk therapy. No, it's not. Right. <laughs> it's not the same. I am a good listener. I'll toot my own horn there, yeah. but to have somebody holding this whole relationship from a, a bird's eye view to say, okay. I see some stuff happening here. We need to talk about your feelings. Right. I think it's just so important. And so. Yeah. And to get that like recognition and awareness that a lot of us didn't get growing up. Like, Hey, I, I see you're going through something. Let's talk mm-hmm. about it. Let's give some space mm-hmm. to it. Let's, yeah. But to, so to have that you to process it. I say you as in the clinician to have mm-hmm. that space to process what comes up in session with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I can see it, but I'm not, I'm not going to touch a lot of that. That's outside of my purview. Right. right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I say like, Oh, I see this client, like really is doing this kind of, um, I don't want to call it manipulative, mm. but they've got an agenda. Mm-hmm. To see where they can push the boundaries of your relationship. Yeah. Right. I certainly can address it, but it's so much more powerful to have them also get to go back to the talk therapist and the talk therapist to say, hey, tell, let's talk about this some more. Where do you think yep. that comes from? Yep. Do you see a pattern here? How can we collaborate to to kind of heal that in a way like mm-hmm. why you're drawn to that that dual relationship or mm-hmm. whatnot so yeah and the, create that safe space where they can talk about the shameful parts that are coming out around mm-hmm. that or you know mm-hmm. what parts of them were kind of being manipulative or yeah um yeah and bringing it to the surface around that yeah yeah and the the triadic model works really well just because of that like consistent contact and wraparound support and yeah you know the I know the client feels it, you know, the client feels the care of. Have you been having... able to work triadically? Uh, very briefly. It didn't, didn't mm. last too long, but um, yeah. yeah. It no, doesn't have done... to last long. That's an interesting part. Mm. I have had 
times where I've met with a client one time mm-hmm. and been able to go back and report back to their talk therapist of my experience. And there's just so much information that I'm able to glean cool. because of the way I'm able to connect with the client, especially now that we have so much telehealth happening. Uh-huh. Like sometimes I'm the first in-person contact. Right. And the therapist is like, so what is the person actually like in person? Because I've only ever met them over Zoom or uh-huh. what have you. So I get to kind of um, be a reporter in a sense of like reporting my experience and how they engaged with me. And sometimes that's enough to go, okay, I see where they are. They're not actually ready to move forward with this kind of work. Uh-huh. Let's yeah. circle back later. You know, so I don't think there's a longevity says whether something was like successful or not. Got it. It's like, I think so much data can be gleaned even with a single session. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a really important kind of assessment too, of saying like, well, now's not the right time. There's, there's some other work to be done before we can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in my work, a lot of times people show up because they think that it's just a simple sex problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> be nice. It's yeah. just not my dick. <laughs> right. So I, I, I say this and I'm, I'm going to publicly hope that uh, this presentation gets picked, but I did put in an ASEC uh abstract cool. that is titled um i did it with my I, I presented it with or i submitted it with my colleague brian gibney um mm. entitled it's not about your dick what clinicians can learn from surrogate partner therapy <laughs> right <laughs> like let's let's yeah. talk about the foundational stuff that sh- that seems to show up that is connected to the sexual dysfunction issues and yeah. and get everybody on on board. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a talk that I give to um like local training centers for early career clinicians and um probably do it for other therapists too, but it's called uh, uh queering sex therapy beyond functioning and how you know a lot of people come to sex therapy, you know, because of functioning, or they think of sex therapy as just a functioning thing, but mm-hmm. there's a lot more to it than just getting your dick up. And yeah. so, you know, um, yeah, I'm really glad that, that you're, I hope they, they should I, choose it. I hope they do. Yeah. We, we came off a pretty great year last at the 2023 conference. We got to present, I had a case presentation on uh, surrogate partner therapy and we had, um, I'm the co-chair of their uh, somatic sexuality professional special interest group. So we also oh, cool. had a presentation just about working with touch workers in general. Nice. So we have some, some momentum that hopefully we can ride in with again this year and get, get some more. Yeah. spotlighted attention on what we can do in this work but um uh how do you talk to therapists about the like the legalities or to their mm-hmm. concerns or their anxieties sure. about the legalities of it well well one i just say no one's been persecuted it's so but complicated really yeah nobody's it. been prosecuted <laughs> i say the biggest thing you can run into is um more so it being inappropriate for certain clients like mm. The only lawsuit I've ever heard of was a a therapist that got sued. Not this was not legality stuff, right? It was it was a, more of a liability lawsuit, I think. Um, they tried to do circuit partner therapy with a married couple, hmm. and in the end, they divorced. And the injured party blamed the surrogate partner and the therapist. Which, yeah, we don't 
take a monogamous couple and introduce a form of non-monogamy. Cause even if uh-huh. it didn't get physical, <laughs> as far as erotic uh-huh. contact, the emotional int- intimacy that happens in that space is, would be really disruptive to most monogamous couples. Right. So, um, most of my work is not, is leaning away from the erotic side of the work. So it's a complicated question for me to answer uh-huh. in traditional surrogate partner therapy. It's, there's no exchange, direct exchange for money for sexual contact mm, Got it. because it's, it's not a guaranteed part of the work. Right. It's really a decision that comes down to all three, the therapist, the, the surrogate partner and the client deciding that it's the best route. Uh-huh. So it, it gets away from that direct exchange. So here's $50 and I get a blowjob or, you know, like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and for me, I just feel like I'm moving farther and farther away from it. Um, because it, it's a long time to hold sexual energy with a client. And yeah. I'm finding it that to be the, the hardest part of the work for me. I love engaging with people in a platonic intimacy. Right. I love it. I could do that all day. I love the space that I started in, right? It just goes back to me being a professional cuddler first. Yeah. And um and the 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 thing is is I think there's certain cases that probably do need erotic contact, but I feel like most of them don't. Mm-hmm. And and as somebody who works with primarily cis men, mm-hmm. they only come to the work because there's a problem happening in the bedroom. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they can't fathom that we would do work that didn't include erotic work right my dick isn't working right clearly we need to touch my dick right (laughs) and i'm like i don't want to touch your dick i want to help you queer your sex we can do that without actually getting into a sexual space right and i think i'm just I'm 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 matching what is alive for me personally in making my work kind of fit what's work. I, I also figured out I don't experience sexual attraction. I'm on the asexual spectrum. This is a new thing I'm learning about myself. And when I think back to how I've engaged in sex over the years, between that and the fact that I am deeply, deeply in the responsive desire mm. camp, mm-hmm. sex is a lot of work. Yeah. And I don't know that I can get paid enough yeah. to to make that work, and especially over a long period of time. Yeah. Right? It's not about the client. It's really a lot about me meeting my own, like, what do I need to stay mentally healthy? And And I just feel a need to pull away from that side of the work more and more. Yeah. I talked to a surrogate once who, we were talking about therapy, therapists and surrogates and he was like, yeah, you could, see, to me, you could see four or five, six clients a day. I, I could not. And I was like, yeah, Mm-mm. absolutely not. But yeah. Yeah. That is a big, it's a big part of it. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard. My last client that I finished in surrogate partner therapy was um, t- almost two years of work. Yeah. And I would say we were in erotic for the last year of it. Uh-huh. It's a lot. Yeah. And I adore him. He's a lovely, lovely person. I love spending time with him. But if I had known 
that kind of energy expenditure, right. I don't know that I would have signed up for that. Yeah. And he and we did great work together. I'm so like so satisfied in some ways, and also just looking at myself and going, "How sustainable is this, Michelle?" Sure. Like, no, it's a real, I, yeah. It's it's real. So, yeah. so the the question of legalities is it's not illegal anywhere in the United States. Right. But I just I hear that so much when I when I bring mm -hmm. it up in my talks. They're like, "But what if what I, am I? What if things go wrong? Yeah. Am I going to well, lose my license? Yeah. Yeah. I think we talk a lot about the, the how licensing works and that you're usually you're going to get a warning of some sort yep. and, and always keep like meticulous notes, mm -hmm. right? Justify why this was decided to be the, the best course of action. Get supervision, right? Have oh, yeah. those kinds of trails that you've not taken this lightly. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think it's really, really powerful. And really shakes up, you know, the client's progress or the the stall. Oh. If they're stalled out, I think it's a really good thing to shake it up. And be a really engaged therapist. Yeah. Right? Like I've I've had the 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 therapists that don't want to be super engaged in it. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. No, this isn't separate. Mm -hmm. This is yeah, together. Right. This yeah. isn't Michelle goes and does her thing. Right. And you guys do your thing. And you know that it's ha what's happening over here because I'm telling you, but you're not actually engaged in it. Like uh -huh. I want, I think this is the shift between what used to be called supervising surrogate partner therapy, where mm. the the clinician was seen as a supervisor that kind of gave directions oh, to the surrogate. Huh. Yeah. And now I think the surrogate comes in with a lot of their own Good. kind of education and background that it needs to be more level as yeah. far as like not a hierarchy between the professionals. I agree. So I think there's just a big evolution happening in this, yeah. in this field. And I'm probably, I, I hesitate to go as far as branding myself, the asexual surrogate partner, but um, <laughs> catchy. Yeah. It's, it's right around the corner. I'm telling you, I'm, uh -huh. I just keep inching closer and closer to just being like, there's so much power here. If I can get the therapist to understand the, the opportunity that is held in this collaborative process and see that it's not about the sex, mm. then it becomes less, I think, risky to a lot of therapists. They don't think of it quite as risky because if the sexual component isn't part of the work, maybe they could settle into it a little easier and then start to learn what can be achieved in that collaboration. Right. Yeah. I got ideas. Yeah, good. You know, like <laughs> No, you were you were saying also reminded me of when I talked to uh one of my friends who does psychedelic assisted therapy and he says that their biggest uh, concern for getting kind of outed or for getting, you know, getting caught up in the legal issues is rarely ever the client themselves, but it's the partner of the client who's changing mm -hmm. and the partner doesn't want them to change or is yeah. threatened by the change or, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, that could happen in regular talk therapy totally. too. Yeah. Right. But is that a space where it's been normalized that change is going to happen and in that it's not Ish. such a blame game i think there may be maybe for the psychedelic piece there's this idea that it's and it can be transformational but there's the idea that's always transformational and that there's you're going to come you're going to go in my you know my partner's going to go in 
have some transformational experience, realize that I shouldn't be abusing them, and then they're going to yeah. leave me, and that's the <laughs> yeah. yeah. I um so. I prefer to work with people that are not partnered. I mean, if I could, mm. if I could only work with people not partnered, I might be yes to that, but also like, maybe not, I don't know, but I do do, I kind of like when people come to me and they're partnered and I'm just going to be working with one of them, which is, I definitely rarely ever do actual couples work. Uh-huh. Um, I like try to talk them out of working with me. Mm. Like it's almost that level of informed consent of like, do you understand even showing up to do cuddling with me and my, I'm going to, you know, help empower you to have your voice. I'm going to like help you understand why it's really important to have a no, because I can't trust your yes until I've heard it. I can't get close to you if I don't know that it's there. And like, especially if you come to me and you're kind of the the doormat of the relationship and right. then you come out of here and you start going oh wait i need to be more authentic in my responses it's not you know i'm i'm going to i'm really butting up against resentment and all these things mm-hmm. and you've been married for a couple of decades you're going to want to get a couples counselor on oh, board yeah. for this real quick right yeah. and so so i i will sit down and i'm like okay you've got to You've got a penis problem. First, first question is always, do you think you have to have sex with me? Is that part of this? No? Okay, great. Maybe we can work together, right? Uh-huh. And then it's like, okay, but does your does your partner know you're going to be working with me? Uh-huh, yeah. Well, no, she just told me I need to get this. Fi- okay. A plausible deniability. Do you understand that you cannot spend time with me and not leave different? Yeah. Like, it's just, I, I haven't... I, I don't know anybody that doesn't become a little bit more like me. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like one of these, do you really know what you're consenting to? Why don't right. you just think about this? And a lot of times they never come back. And I'm I'd much rather have that than have the opposite of like the partner showing up at my door going, what did you do to my husband or right. girlfriend or whatever? Right. Like, yeah. Change is hard for people. Yeah. It can be really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Even when your marriage ends, I can go, well, that's ultimately you're going to think this was the best thing, uh-huh. right? Right now, probably doesn't feel so sure, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the downside of like changing people's lives. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I think the other thing that, that's coming to mind is I see this a lot with guys, but um, this idea that they've, they've been brought into therapy to get fixed and that there's something wrong with them to, to adjust or to fix or, mm-hmm. and they understandably when, when they have that idea that um, they're very guarded and defended and, you know, untrusting, which I'm like, yeah, of course, why would you? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I'm like, no, we're not here to fix you. We're here to help you understand yourself where you, you get to understand yourself. You get to understand all the wild things that are going on in your body and your mind and, how they're connected and not, you know, all that stuff and try to add some excitement to this learning process rather than like, oh, fuck, I got to learn about myself. I got to learn about my emotions. I got to learn how to communicate and, um, and like working with that inner critic that can pop in of like, oh, this is stupid, or I'm not going to be able to do this, or I sound too Californian (laughs) or whatever it may be. Uh, You know, that's a big part of the work, as you know, is like working with that inner critic and letting them know, 
trying to find strategies to help them quiet the inner critic or something I said earlier today was uh, tell your inner critic to wait outside while you're while you're practicing this new thing. Like easier said than yeah. done, but just practice saying you wait outside yeah. while I do this. You're yeah. not and, and when they show up, just exit them again. Yep. It's kind of like I say, it's like meditation. Yeah. When your mind wanders, just come back. Yep. It's okay. Just remind them that they can go and come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's easier said than done. But right, and I, like I repeat yeah. that over and over again. It's easier said than done, but worth trying. It's like yeah, yeah. it's just practice. Yep. Just practice. I think the 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 scarier thing in in the growth trajectory is when you know things have to change at home or wherever, yeah. and processing that and all of you know broken promises and oh all of that. Yeah, and boundaries with yourself. You know, mm-hmm. around, um, you know, communication or boundaries with showing up or not showing up or, you know, um, resi- resilience, you know, is often thought of as just like taking whatever is thrown at you when in reality, it's like knowing your capacity, knowing your boundaries, knowing your, knowing how to communicate them. Yeah. Being able like, that's something that I practice in, in space with clients is like having them start to be able to identify when they feel full. Yep. Right. Like capacity is so different for everyone. So then they're like, well, how, how long should our sessions be? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know what your capacity is. Yeah. Right. We've got to be able to start to practice honoring it. Like it's a, it's a question that I, I've said repeated a few times. Somebody asked us on me and Brian Gibney, my, my work husband who I make all my professional babies with. Um, somebody <laughs> asked us like, how do people figure out what they want in life? Right. And it's like, well, you got to figure out the little stuff first. Uh-huh. Right. So yeah. if you can't name that you need to use the bathroom and then go take yourself to the bathroom and not put it off, how are you going to do the other things? So, so in that, like learning what your capacity is and building your capacity, part of that building the capacity is teaching your body that you, it can trust you to stop when you are full. Yep. It, that's part of the work. And sometimes because I get a lot of really growth oriented people sometimes where they're like, but I have this thing. I need to get to the thing. I should be able to do this. Why right. can't I, especially in touch, right? I'm here to overcome my aversion yeah. to touch. And I'm like, well, we're not going to overcome it by you ignoring that aversion right. to touch. There is a, there's through. alarms going off in your system, Right. There's a reason why you have an aversion to touch. And until we rebuild your personal like safety, the your inner child knowing that you're gonna take care of you. Yeah. There's you're if you're blowing through it, we're not gonna make any progress. We're just gonna stay still. Yeah. So or it yeah. or make it worse mm-hmm. by pushing through. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes back to the back to the the reparenting by committee mm. is like I think of my spot as like the laboratory to experiment where you're not experimenting with another person, like in, uh-huh. in the sense of like a, a, a friend or somebody who doesn't um, either know they're being experimented with mm-hmm. or um, they, they have their own stuff, right? So you have a chemical reaction that can happen because one person's trigger is, you know, just bouncing back and forth, right? And so right. to get a little space to get to do a baseline reset uh-huh. 
of what can it feel? What can it feel like to to be with someone who's not also responding with their triggers and yeah. can really encourage you to do the scary things like saying no and advocating for yourself and that it doesn't have to be a scary event like maybe it was in your childhood or whatnot. Yeah, we just did a, a men's retreat um, two weekends ago where uh talked a little bit about reparenting by committee and about trust. And I had them go through and, and write down uh, people they trust, what they trust them for, and why. Mm-hmm. And like really breaking it down. And then, so A, so they know, but then also it can help them think about the other areas of their life that they can trust. And, you know, it ranged from like, I go to this friend for financial advice because they seem to be doing well or you know, um, and so what what it seemed like it came up with was um, either they have good experience in it, or when I'm talking to them about this, they're not shaming me, they're not being shitty mm-hmm. about it. And then this mm-hmm. happened in the retreat where guys started to open up about some things that they had a little bit of shame around, and they've been holding since they were you know young. Um, mm-hmm. And then we were like, oh yeah, that's understandable, and just that that like lived experience of like- not being pointed and the humiliated or whatever is super fucking healing man it's like yeah it goes a long way it's the reprocessing yeah right and that's all these different there's so many different ways to get the opportunity to reprocess whether it's that journal exercise of writing the same story four times i know that's exactly what's happening is they're just doing memory reconsolidation right like Uh I, I get that, like, I took a, I took a class on memory reconsolidation and, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is totally what happens in this space, in this space, in this mm. space. Like, yes, that's what's going on in EMDR. Yes, that's what's going on in IFS. Yes, that's what's going on in cuddle space. Even right. like it's have a, a, I think that the simple formula for it was something like a, a regulated nervous system and you add just a little bit of activation. And then your your no your knowing or what did they call it the uh, mismatch system comes on and says wait a minute this isn't how my uh-huh. subcortical brain thinks this is supposed to go <laughs> but you're in this special little spot where you've got the enough regulation that you can actually make that connection of like oh wait yeah that's my three year old's idea of how the world works right not my as it would say, like wise adults in like the uh, relational life therapy world. I, I've uh-huh, touched yeah. on so many different little like niches in the talk therapy space. It's just fun to look at it now from that kind of angle of like, oh, we're just doing lots of different ways to do memory reconsolidation. Mm-hmm. Finding yeah, what I mean, works. Yeah. I, there's, it's a, a good process, right? Just for the very reason, you know, we have one pre- practitioner here at Rouse uh, who does brain spotting. I love brain spotting. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I, I and I uh, I would love to sit I should sit down with somebody who does brain spotting and EMDR to say, help me understand the difference. Yeah. Because I've walked out of brain spotting, which I've had I have never had EMDR. I've been in the space where it was being done as like a demo. Mm. The space where it was being done as a demo felt in, so activating. Like I was just watching it and like all of mm. us in the room are like in tears, like we're in it with this person. Mm-hmm. It felt really activating where the brain spotting, every time I've left a brain spotting session, I have felt on top of the world. Mm. And I don't know if that's just my experience, um, but I've just been like, I, I could have a shot of that yeah. on the regular. I had, yeah, I've uh, done brain spotting 
three times with my therapist uh, around a particular trauma that I went through two years ago. Um, And yeah, I was like floored because the first time I did it, I it was like in the middle of my work day. And just to say that, like I was kind of in my work mind Mm -hmm. and kind of just kind of get through my list. Um, And I was able to really just like sink into the emotion, sink into the moment. Um, You know, within a few 10 minutes, I was in tears in a very relieving sort of way, not in Mm -hmm. a um, a bad way. And by the end of it, yeah, I I wasn't on top of the world, but I definitely felt more resourced and I felt like I had more access to the the parts of myself that could advocate for myself or that, you know, that felt more in control and less like helpless and maybe clarity. Yeah. Like a sense of clarity. For me, a sense of clarity gives me a sense of control and power. And mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had the wildest. Um, my father passed away a couple of years ago in September. Mm, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was one of those things where it was not the worst thing that's happened to me, for sure. It was a relief in some yeah. many ways. In fact, I, I describe it as feeling like a cloak of labels fell off of me. Mm. Like I walked out of a... Uh, like I dropped the cloak and just walked forward and was like relieved of a lot of things I thought about myself that were really based on like him Uh in a lot of ways. So fast forward, I was in love with aqua aerobics and I was taking this really great water class and it's in the deep water and I get there early. I always have my corner and I have a friend that's in the other corner and we're, we're shooting the shit back and forth across the pool waiting for class to start. And I'd heard stories of this man that would show up at class, but not be in the class, but would refuse to get out of the pool. And then he would like harass the instructor and like cuss her out while he'd like pace behind her around the pool. Like, wow. I just, I heard this happen a couple of times and it was never there when it happened. So of course I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm swimming there, I'm, whatever, I'm floating. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this guy swims down the lane of my friend's lane and like runs into her. And I looked at her across the floor. I go, what the hell is that? And she goes, that's that dude. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) Right. And I swim over. I get like 10 feet ahead of her. And then one of our other mutual friends get in front of me about 10 feet. And the guy gets in the pool and they're like, oh, he's not going to come back down. I go, no, I think he is. This guy seems like from his story is pretty entitled. Right. Mm -hmm. So he comes swimming back down. He runs into the lady in front of me and gets all in her shit and i just start screaming at him that he needs to get out of the pool and like i'm like fuck you like i'm just like because people that work there can't do this right right and i am just like i'm in a pool full of older women and i'm like i am going to like empower them all to like take a stand this i'm gonna tell this guy off like he's every man in their life right (laughs) and um the the manager met him at the stairs to escort him out afterwards but i was just like i was chanting get out get out like all this stuff like just i was probably i i kind of was like a lunatic in a way um but that's not how i said it so 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 fast forward um, I, I'm in a meeting with some colleagues and there's a therapist in the, in the, um, space that does brain spotting and something came up and I don't remember what it was, but I felt the, fl- like the rush of feelings come up and I went, oh my goodness, I've got things I need to do deal with, mm. with this. 
And I'd already skipped a class because I got this fear hit me like uh, the like the next week where I went, oh, God, this guy's going to show up. He's an injured white male. Uh-huh. He's going to come shoot the play. You know what I mean? I did sure. the, the sure. whole thing. So I said to the therapist, I said, is there any chance I could get a one off with you? I've mm. just got this specific thing I need to work through. And she was like, yeah, we did probably 45 minutes, right? Whatever the usual therapy yeah. hour is, right? And I went into it knowing, like I'd already processed it a bit of like, my father was the first man I was afraid of. Mm. This dude is just an extension yeah. of that where I got to let out all the feelings I had about my father. I came into it kind of knowing all of that. Uh-huh. But in the end, I I took off the rest of the day. I assumed I would be dead to the world the rest of the day, clear the schedule, make this the last thing I have to do. And it wasn't like that. I got, by the time I got done, I felt so like, it was like a clearing of just a lot of negativity that just needed to go away. Good. So good. Big fan. (laughs) Long story. I'm a really big fan of brain spot. No, it's great. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, that that was a big reason why after my personal experience, I was, we already had a provider here who was interested in it. But after my personal experience, I'm like, well, we need to bring this in here. And so I like immediately mm-hmm. set up the, for the training to happen so that they could be, you know, trained. And Marjorie is, is wonderful at it. And she's already um, incredibly trained at working with trauma and uh, survivors of intimate partner violence. And so it just seemed like a really perfect fit, mm. you know. Yeah, what a great addition. I I hope to one day be involved in a practice here in San Diego where it's such a lovely wraparound of options yeah. where I am just one of the options as part of a bigger team, right? Yeah. Like that's put it out in the universe. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. It's going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. Awesome. Um, any part of that go to go back to keep going back to the complex PTSD, any part of that book that was really like your favorite part of it that sticks out to you yeah the, i mean the reparenting one definitely stands out to me the inner critic the the con- what i call the inner critic and outer critic as like toxic yep. siblings and it's been something that i've been talking about with clients around just judginess and um mm. but i'm gonna start using the critic language more because i think judginess doesn't sit well with some because mm. but we have a negative connotation to it yeah for sure yeah, yeah. um but yeah, I really like the, just, you know, what I would say is essentially, you know, when you're, when you're judging others, you're, you're also judging yourself or, you know, when you're mm-hmm. judging yourself, then you'll probably notice that your judgment or criticism of others are probably going to be very high and of the same ilk. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, these two, the inner critic and outer critic are are toxic siblings. And to just catch yourself in those moments to really understand where they're coming from um, and why you're doing it. And and for the why, you know, I, I take some of the therapy language out of it by saying, you know, you end up kind of playing a different game in life when you're just constantly criticizing yourself and others. There's more of like a transactional game that you're playing, more of a competitive but not in a fun way where like no one ever wins, no one ever is succeeding except, you know, the ones that you're idealizing. Like what other games can we introduce into your life? What's, what's another way of succeeding in life rather than getting to the, to the top. So it doesn't really address the critic directly. It's more of like a Mm -hmm. sideways way of getting to the critic Um, and increasing, hopefully increasing their own like agency or self-advocacy of like, Oh wait, no, I want to, want to play a different game i don't want to play 
Yeah, the critic came into play, if I recall, in the area where they're talking about verbal ventilation. At least that's the spot I'm remembering mm-hmm. the the loudest because I think it it was like oh permission to verbally ventilate. Yeah, inside the 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 boundaries of not allowing the critic to show up. Right, right. That right. you have to just talk about like how you feel, but not like not judge it. Self deprecation. Yeah, you know that. Without the self-judgment. Yeah. I really yeah. like that. That was and the other part I really loved is all the permission he gave for tears. Yeah. Wow. Like that was that was one of those things I've had to go through that um process myself of learning to love my tears. Mm. Like it was a process to let them even show up to begin mm-hmm. with. And then it was, gosh, why can't you just show up when it's convenient? <laughs> right? This is not the time to have these tears Uh show up, right? To getting to the point of like, oh, no, this is, this is good to have these tears. And this is just moving this stuff Mm -hmm. along, right? And so I really loved that, that area of the book of just giving all the, like the, not even just permission, but the importance of the grief and the tears and washing that away. And yeah. Yeah. And then just how we broke down just the not the stages of grief, but just the necessary parts of grief, like you're saying, crying and angering. Um, it's a really helpful framework to talk about that, you know, the ventilating um, mm-hmm. so that people, be, especially because in the States, in Western society, like grieving is very much looked down upon. We're supposed to just kind of carry on, you know, and move you on. You get three and, days, as right. it was mentioned on a episode I just recorded the other day with a, a colleague that likes uh, to work in grief. And yeah. uh, we're just talking about how we just don't have a good framework for like, we don't know how we're supposed to grieve, right? And yeah. we're not given much of an opportunity to really get into it. We're supposed to like bypass it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I appreciated the way that he really normalized and like just broke it down. I'm like, nope. It's okay. And I mean, that's a big part of the work that I do is helping them understand when grief is showing up and that it's not just about death. It's about lots of, lots of losses. We um, run into it in my work when people realize what they haven't experienced, right? They get to a certain age in life and maybe they finally seek some support. Yeah. And then there's this grieving of lost time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like what could have been different or, you know, something like that there's a lot, lots of options but yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure oh and I did, yeah and I, I mean i feel i feel like it's a very accessible book and so i recommend the book to clients and um yeah. and i say you know come back and we'll talk about it and see what came up for you and we'll learn i I've, I've recommended it to some of my colleagues as required reading if you're working <laughs> um in relational work yeah i just think it's i, I think that I think that people think of complex PTSD as being something that is, I must have been in some kind of extreme situation. Right. Right. And I think that helping people understand that even just a, a, only a certain kind of nurturing, like your bare minimum, you know, taking, yes, you're alive kind of thing, but maybe you weren't emotionally nurtured or yeah. like those can all show up under that same kind of umbrella and i I love in the beginning of the book i think he said something like if you went to the dsm-5 and you you took all the things that fall Uh (laughs) and i was like yeah that sounds sounds about right sounds right yeah yeah well david we've 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 hit an hour oh cool 
That was fast. I always say I'm not going to turn this into the Joe Rogan show where I have three like hour, three hour yeah. interviews, although it'd be really easy for me yeah. to do that with some people. Um, is there anything that we touched? I know you've had some ideas that you that you lost. Did any of them come back? They didn't come back. Okay. Yeah. Well, when you if, if they come back, shoot me week. a message yeah. and let okay. me know what they are because I'm curious. But. Yeah. Uh, uh, I wish you were in San Diego. Me too. Like, I, I, it would be great to have you in my community. I'm really, I, I run like happy hours and stuff. It's always great to have more great people in my, in my community, but it's okay. You're in the Bay. You're close enough. Yeah. I think I'm sure there'll be a time that I'll be coming <laughs> we'll down to San Diego in the next, I mean, probably next year I'll, I'll come down to San Diego once. I'll let you know for sure. I'll yeah. Let me know for yeah. sure. It'd be great to connect. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm going to um, definitely have you on for Soft Cock yeah, Week. Yeah. If, if we're reading the same book, we can come on and, and chat about that. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm currently in The Big Leap. Oh, cool. Have you read that one? No. No, it's just like about like getting rid of limiting, like what limits you unconsciously from like really being in your genius. and. Cool. So that's kind of a... Got me in my head. Yeah. Thank you. Taking after the the men's retreat, I'm, I'm just listening to like comedy podcasts or crime podcasts, or I'm just taking a break because I the months leading up to it, I was just. Um, but this Friday we have Midori coming on, um, coming to our office to do uh, like a consult with other therapists. And so I I'm kind saw of preparing that. for that. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. But then That's after great. that, I will go back to my bad tv and comedy podcasts just for a break just for you know thank you i do that too i you know people what do you watch just some shit tv yeah. to consciously dissociate for a little while yeah yeah absolutely auto auto regulate i think is what i was listening to uh, i was doing a little like um crunching for a client and i was re-listening to Polysecure chapter nine on self or secure attachment with self. It's one of my favorite uh -huh. chapters. And, and I was starting to go, Oh yeah, I auto regulate a lot. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But yeah, I do golden girls as my comedy side. Just throw my, what I like to do if Teresa is also comedy, but I tend to go golden girls as my, Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. I go to. So feel free if you need it in a quick 15 minute fix, like it totally changes my mood. Um, Dorothy's most savage moments on YouTube that will down. solve a lot of things. <laughs> it is my secret weapon. That so, show was my go-to in middle school and high school. Yeah. yeah, I used to watch it all the time when it was uh, a regular coming out every week Saturday night show or whatever it was. I did not get the nuances right. of how powerful that show was yeah. then. But yeah. Watching it now is like it's it's pretty great still. Yeah. All right, David. Thank you for having Where me. Where can people yeah. find you online? Yep, we are uh, at Rouse Relational Wellness. It's rousetherapy.com or uh, any of the social media channels uh, at Rouse Therapy, R-O-U-S-E. And we offer a variety of different therapy services, all focused on couples and sex therapy, um, including workshops and retreats and group therapy. And we service uh, people in San Francisco and all over California. So, yeah. Come check us out. We also just have a ton of free information in our blog section for you to look through and learn. Cool. 
Well, yeah. I love a good resource. Cool. So thanks, David. Thank you, Michelle. It was so good to get to a little extra time with you. And yeah. um, let's stay in touch. Please. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to comment, pose a question, or learn more about the guests often featured on the show, visit us at intimacylabpodcast.com. Please also take a moment to review us on your favorite podcast app. It's one of the best ways to show your support. As for me, you can find out more about my work at meetmichellerenee.com, as well as on most social medias at meetmichellerenee. Let's connect again soon.